Man, I know I use the word fun almost every time we start a new episode of the Moments in History podcast, uh, but there's no better word to describe what we've had thus far. We're going to tell some more good stories as well. I'm Colin Holt. That's Val Cook. Uh, and Val, I was thinking about this the other day uh, because it feels like it keeps coming up as as these uh, kids that were born in the 90s get older and older. Mm-hmm. Uh, this computer game that it felt like everybody played uh, back in the day, uh, the Oregon Trail, you know, where you they would give you like a, an occupation and then you have to travel along on your little computer screen and uh, you get dysentery and die. Uh, ed's educational, right? Um, yeah, it was part of the school curriculum almost. Right, uh, almost every elementary school teacher it feels like assigned, uh, you know, the Oregon Trail, or you'd play it in class while you're waiting for other people to finish a project. Um, and and so that's always kind of been a big part of of the '90s culture, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's cool now to to live in this area and actually be not too far from the actual Oregon Trail itself and to have yes. all these pieces of history that we've even touched on in this podcast. Well, all you have to do is throw a rock and and you're somewhere close to the Oregon Trail or the Mormon Trail in these parts. There's a lot of different trails that actually came through here. Across southern Wyoming, there was a, one of the first stagecoach trails came came across to the south of us across southern Wyoming. That's a trail that not many people know about, but there are uh, trails of cattle going from Texas up into the North Country um, from the 1800s right after the Civil War. There's um, bunches of different trails, but the two biggest ones that most people know about around here are the Oregon or Oregon-Washington Trail and the um, Mormon Trail. Like water, it seems like people try to find the path of least resistance, right? And if you find Mm -hmm. a path that works... Try to follow the person that went in front of you. Uh, but with that being said, least resistance probably isn't the right term to use because as you come this way, especially at that time, you would cross over so many, not only different obstacles, uh, but different types of terrain and areas too. Yeah. And you would do it at such a pace that you could appreciate every step of the way. And most of it was a step of the way. They very seldom rode in their wagons. They didn't ride in the wagons because it was too much strain on the on the oxen and the horses. They'd walk beside the wagons while the horses and the oxen pulled uh, what was inside, all the precious material that was going with them to their new their new home. If you were lucky enough to have cattle yeah. pulling the wagon, I mean, a lot of them were hand carts anyway. Yeah, there was a lot of those. There was uh, six hand cart companies, but the actual Oregon Trail, um, man, it started started with a mountain man back in the early 1800s and went to about 1865, somewhere in there. And then the train came through in the 18, early 1870s, and that took over all of the wagon uh, travel from the east to west coast. But I, I tell you, it's very interesting. If you can imagine uh, being a person, you've never seen a, an a internal combustion engine, don't even know what it is. Your main source of energy is literally horsepower or oxen power. And you decide to take off on an 1,800-mile journey across the country. And you don't know what you're going to get into. Very little is known about the country between where you start and where you're headed. Talk about a leap of faith. My goodness. Oh, yeah. And these these guys would go out maybe 18 to $20, a, or $20, 18 to 20 miles a day over the prairie was considered a very, very good day. They, they were awakened shortly before daybreak to the sounds of the bugle or a shotgun fired by one of the overnight guards. This is a, this is a typical day on the trail if you're traveling from St. Louis to Oregon. In okay. a group. In a group, yeah, in a wagon, tra- wagon train. 
So at 4 a.m., the bugler blows a trumpet or fire a shot is fired from the night guard to wake up the camp. The camp. At 5 o'clock, the cattle are rounded up after being allowed to graze during the night unless there were Indians threatening, and then they would be held within the circle of the wagons. At 5.30, the women and children were up and fixing breakfast of usually bacon, corn porridge, or johnny cakes made of flour and water. Yum, yum. 6.30, women rinse the plates and mugs and stow the bedding while the men haul down tents and load them in the wagons. At 7 o'clock, after every family has gathered their teams and hitched them up to the wagons, a trumpeter signals the wagon's hoe to start the wagons down the trail. Better not be late, right? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it could be in your life, actually. Right. The average difference, uh, average distance covered in a day was usually 15 miles. But on a good day, you could get 20 if you traveled really good and things went right. 7.30, the men would ride ahead on horses with shovels to clear out a path, if needed, for the wagons that were following. At noon, the animals and people would stop to eat and drink and rest. But at 1 o'clock, they're back right back on the trail. At 5 p.m. that evening... When a good campsite or ample water or grass was found, the pioneers stopped, set up camp for the evening. Wagons were formed into a corral. At 6 o'clock, families unpacked and made their supper. At 7 o'clock, mothers did the chores. The men sat around smoking and talking, and the young people danced. And at 8 o'clock, camp settles down for the night. The guards go on duty. At midnight, the guards were changed. So that was an average day. In the life of a pioneer traveling the Oregon Trail. Yeah, today, if we're going 15 to 20 miles per hour, it feels slow. <laughs> it is. And this is 15 to 20 miles a day. A day. But have you ever taken time to get out of your car and walk across the Sagebrush Prairie? Just a, even two or three blocks across it. If you walk across the Sagebrush Prairie... Uh, everybody says that the, the scenery between Evanston and Cheyenne is just horrible because it's all sagebrush or desert or whatever. But if you actually take a moment and step out of your car and walk across that prairie, and instead of looking at it as a great big entire prairie, look at it every square foot. You will be amazed at how many flowers you see, flowers that are literally the size of pinheads. Um just beauty in in these desert plants, the way the leaves are configured, and just look at it square foot by square foot by square foot as you slowly walk across it. And I'm telling you what, it is a beautiful place. There's a lot of beauty out there that you just don't see when you glance at it and say, wow, this is a bottom of a frying pan, you know, yeah. nothing out there. That's not true. There's a lot of cool things. And when you say Evanston to Cheyenne, you're talking about, you know, the southwest corner of Wyoming uh, to the southeast corner of Wyoming, basically. And yes. I-80 runs right through there. And mm -hmm. as you drive through, you're right. Uh, it is beautiful in and of itself, but it can feel kind of dry and barren. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. If you take the time, you step out uh, and really look around. There is a lot of beauty, maybe on a kind of a smaller scale as well. Yeah. And it's, a, it's really fun to get out and do that. But I tell you, after these pioneers have been traveling for day in and day out, getting from Fort Laramie on the eastern side of the state of Wyoming all the way over to Fort Bridger, which is just 30 miles down the road in the Bridger Valley from where we initiate this podcast here in Evanston. But um, it's pretty desolate. And then you go another 50 miles and you drop into the Bear River Valley. Because the Oregon Trail left Bridger, Fort Bridger 
and it went north to what is just south of modern-day Kemmerer right now. And then it went down that canyon, and when it got down into the valley that Cokeville is situated in, if anybody knows where that is, right on the Wyoming-Utah uh, border, um, that's the Bear River Valley. And when they got there, it was so lush and beautiful because it, the, it was such a well-watered valley. It had all kinds of animals, uh, all kinds of the grass, they said, was as tall as a horse's belly. Um, and it just changed the whole atmosphere from, from dry and arid to a little bit cooler and a lot more, um, well, a change in a diet. Yeah, all of a sudden could go catch fish. And it, there was more a game that you could go out and, and bring into camp uh, for eating. So Wyoming, being a rectangle, takes a chunk out of the upper right corner of the, of the rectangle that Utah is. And mm-hmm. so Cokeville is right on the border of Utah, up at, at the part, the top part of that little chunk that's taken out. Yes. Yeah, right, right on the border. It's within a mile, maybe, from the border. And then if you just go a few miles further than that, I want to say less than 10, all of a sudden you're on the Wyoming-Idaho border. So it's all right there in that little niche that you're talking about, that little uh, area. And the, and the Oregon Trail would follow the Bear River from basically just south of where Cokeville currently is all the way up to Soda Springs, Idaho. And then it would branch off and go north from there to Fort Hall up by Blackfoot, what is now modern-day Blackfoot, Idaho. So that's the way the Oregon Trail went. And uh, they really enjoyed their time that they spent in the Bear River Valley. We, we have a lot of great stories about that. Uh, did I ever tell you about the mouse pie? Mouse pie? It doesn't sound very appealing, but no, you <laughs> haven't told me. Well, apparently it was pretty mouthwatering to somebody that then on the trail eating Johnny cakes every morning made out of flour and water. Yeah. Um, but the, it, actually from a diary, Joseph Goldsboro Bruff was a captain of the Washington City Company wagon train back in 1849, and this comes from his diary. On August 12th of 1849, after dinner, the Panax came. Now, Panax were a slang name that they used for the Bannock uh, tribe of Indians. Indians. Panax, Bannox. Uh, you see the correlation. After dinner, the Panax came again. They spoke several words of English, a party of these chaps, a young man on a very fine pony, a youth and an old man on a fat black mule, and a middle-aged squaw on a mare, hauled the sign, meaning he went fishing, and caught a number of suckers and trout, captured several fat black mice, and had a pie. This broad bottom for miles is the scene of animated life, enough to make one forget it's a wild country upwards of a thousand miles from our western frontier. Bands of oxen and mules grazing about and cows among them, the tinkling of their bells improving the semblance of a domestic scene. The bushes and grass covered with washed clothing, men in groups conversing and reading, others rambling across the meadows and hillsides, some bathing, fishing, gunning. A man and his wife with tin pails went from an adjacent camp over to a, about a mile to a band of cattle and returned with their buckets full of milk. A delightful, lively scene. Needs only two or three cottages to complete the picture. The beautiful evening was enlivened with instrumental and vocal music. That is the joy that was felt from a man coming off the deserts of southern Wyoming and entering the Bear River Valley. Could you imagine the just the, the change of scenery and yeah. just trying to fathom, you know, days and days and weeks and miles and miles and miles of the <laughs> same scenery 
And then all of a sudden, almost kind of like in a split second, it all changes. And just how happy you would have felt. It's like, you know, when you get your salad at a restaurant and then finally the meal comes with your steak, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm sure that's not enough to really compare to what that actually felt like, but still. And an interesting part of that to me is it wasn't until the 1860s that any settlers settled into the Bear, La Bear River Valley. Everybody was so focused on the land of milk and honey that was built up in their mind in Washington and Oregon and what they were going to find when they got there that they didn't even think of stopping in the Bear River Valley, even though it was as plush as they described it. And, you know, you read in several different diary excerpts, and you can just feel the joy in the excerpts from these diaries uh, that the people got by dropping into this lush valley. Yeah, and I wonder in our minds, you know, you finally reach a, a beautiful place with water and animals and uh, maybe you think, okay, well, maybe we can just stop here. But I wonder how much that was motivation for them to continue on. It probably you know, if it rejuvenated them. That probably was a big part of it too. But it wasn't until the 1860s when uh, Congress put in the Homesteader Homesteaders Act that people started homesteading in the Bear River Valley. Very interesting. Just kept on passing through. Yeah, just a, it was just a a really nice spot in the middle of from here to there. That's insane. Wow, what what crazy stories. Do you have any more anecdotes? or? Uh, you know, I have some others. Um, uh, Enoch Conyers, back in 1852, three years after we heard from Mr. Bruff's uh, excerpt, his journal, Enoch Conyers, on July 21st of 1852, on the bottoms of the Bear River is found the best grazing we've had on the whole journey. If this country were ever settled, fine farms would be had here. But he apparently didn't want to. He went on with his fellow travelers. That's another aspect of it, too, is is how nice that would have been uh, for for those who were pulling the wagons, too. Uh, you know, the the oxen or, or the horses. Right. Finally have that much food. Yeah. And be able to wander around. There wasn't the major Indian tribe that was in charge from uh, of the area between Fort Bridger and Fort Hall and the Snake River following the route of the Oregon Trail, were the Shoshones. And before you got into the Shoshone country, um, which is more up in the Idaho area, the area between Fort Bridger and where Soda Springs currently is, there's not one account of any Indian uprising or any, any person being killed in a wagon train. Um, all of it started right around Soda Springs, and, and most of the depredation Indian... Indian depredation that happened on the Oregon Trail happened between Fort between Soda Springs and the Snake River and Fort Hall area. Interesting. That's where most of the confrontations, the physical confrontations between Indians and the white man happened. Very interesting. And you said you have one last anecdote? Oh, got more than that if you want. Oh, okay. Here's one from 1853 from a lady's standpoint named Maria Belshaw. Here's an expert from her diary, dated July 19th, 1853. Come to the Thomas Fork at noon. Good feed here. We came to the spur of the mountain, as the guide calls it. We were all afternoon going up and coming down. A spring on the mountain to left of the road. Traveled down the valley till noon. Camped 50 rods from river. One mile from the road to left. Good feed. Traveled 22 miles. So this is describing just north of where Cokeville is, where the U.S. Highway 30 crosses into Idaho, 
you the very within a block or two you come to the Thomas Fork River, and that flows into the Bear River from the north, coming out of um, the south end of Star Valley. So that's where she's describing is right there, and they had to travel up and down hills to get from that spot over to where close to where Montpelier is now. And so that's what she was talking about, going up and down the hills to get all of their stuff up the hill. The oxen couldn't pull the wagon up the hill. They had to unload the wagon, take a few items, go back down, pick up a few more, take up a few items to the top of the hill, back down, and the whole wagon train had to do that. And um, still to cover 22 miles and having to do all of that, traveling across those rolling hills there in southern Idaho, that's uh, quite a job. You it's think not, about what they were working with. It's a far cry from the the video game, the Oregon Trail video game, yeah. that's for sure. But <laughs> a lot of great stories um, from the Oregon Trail and the other trails of people moving this direction uh, at that time, which make for some great stories and uh, some very interesting moments in history as well. As you are tuned into the Moments in History podcast, that's Val Cook. I'm Cullen Holt. Uh, we encourage you to check out all the episodes of Moments in History, whether that be online at mylocalradio.com or any place that you get your podcasts. And be sure to come back here for more as well.